Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, share how their graduate school experience at GSPM helped them get an inside track to professional success, and how it can help leaders like you do the same. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Stephanie Peters, an alumna of the Political Management Program at GSPM and a seasoned government relations professional who has spent decades working and advocating in Washington on issues around corporate social responsibility, immigration, trade, intellectual property, and foreign sovereign representation. Stephanie began her career in Washington as a law clerk with the Senate Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on Technology and the Law, before moving on to serve as an attorney advisor in the Office of the General Counsel at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. She then returned to the Hill as the Democratic Counsel to members of the House Judiciary Committee, where she advised those members during the impeachment proceedings of former President Bill Clinton, aided in the drafting of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and served as the lead Judiciary Democratic Counsel for floor consideration of the 1996 immigration reform legislation. In 2000, Stephanie joined international law firm Patton Boggs as a partner, where she represented a number of major corporate clients alongside a robust portfolio of pro bono work for nearly a decade before joining the global software leader Microsoft, where she still works today, 13 years later, as Director of Congressional Affairs, managing the company's government relations efforts with House Democrats. I'm sure there's no shortage of pots on her proverbial stove these days, so we're very grateful to her for taking a few minutes to chat with us today. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome. It's a delight to be here. Uh, We'll start at the same place that we always start on this podcast, which is at the beginning. Uh, Let's rewind the clock. Where where does the story of of Stephanie Peters begin? Where were you born? What was your family like? Uh, What were you like as a kid? Well, uh, to quote a top NBA star like LeBron James, I'm just a kid from Akron, Ohio, (laughs) and I'm a very proud Buckeye. Uh, I grew up in Akron, went to Akron public schools. I had uh, one sister, two brothers. My parents um, were just delightful, and education was always uh, key. And we always went to the libraries on the weekend. And my dad thought I was going to be a librarian and my sister was going to be a nurse. And why that is important is that um, I worked at the Maple Valley Library. I can shelf books in the Dewey Decimal System faster than anyone, but it also got me interested in research and and analytics. And when I look at 
being in the tech space as well as being a lawyer, those days in between the shelves at Maple Valley Library were very impactful. My parents also adopted my first cousins, um, not formally, but uh, financially, and uh, took care of uh, them as well, which was also very impactful in my life, uh, seeing my parents uh, and their willingness to give to another family and also just having other people in our home really made me the middle child diplomat uh, mm. that I feel I have become because I wasn't the first, I wasn't the youngest, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I um, really had to make my way and uh, did so with outside of the house on uh, getting unique and intentional attention, not that my parents didn't pay attention to me, but mm -hmm. when I look back, I do think it's particularly uh, relevant. Um, one last child, uh, uh, childhood story that I will share is um, one day my mom, uh, who was a hairdresser and had her cosmetology license, but also her management license and own a, a, a hair salon with eight operators uh, for a very long time. She said to me, um, I was really quite jealous of our neighbors who had lived in a number of places in Africa and were fluent in, in French and, you know, at 12 or 13 um, were uh, much more worldly than I was. And at that point, I hadn't even been on the airplane. And my mother said with such confidence, you will grow up, you will go to college, you will get a good job, and you will travel the world. And I think now as we have apps that tell us to do affirmations and all of these, my mother was so ahead of her game on telling me an intentional affirmation. And I remember early on as a young attorney and a number of different um, ways studying at Oxford and, you know, traveling abroad, representing different clients. Uh, I would always just call my mom before uh, the plane took off and said, you know what I mean? You affirmed that this would happen, and I really appreciate it. Well, it sounds like she knew that she had the uh, the LeBron James of law and government relations on her hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind. <laughs> um, so did you all, you mentioned kind of growing up as the the middle child in, in this big this big family. Um what was your path? Uh, what did you all talk about politics and, and and current events at home? Was that a thing that was a topic of conversation, or or was that just not on your radar? And and and, and kind of what was your path into becoming aware of this politics and this this entire world, and that this was a thing that was out there, and that you might want to get involved in? Uh, my parents were very politically involved, and. As African American, and I am 
as uh, Michelle Obama says, you know, descendants of slaves on on both sides, they Mm -hmm. were really involved um, in political, civic engagements. Um, And for example, the first mayor of a major American city was Carl Stokes. Uh, His brother later served in Congress uh, for a very long time and was one of the founders of the Congressional Black Caucus. My parents were very much involved in driving up to Cleveland and working on his campaign in the late, I think, 60s, maybe early 70s. But during that time, that's my first memory of them being politically involved. Um, other activism was like the library and and books. And, you know, there were some very challenging and racially charged, you know, books from children's books to uh, adult books in, in the libraries. And I remember my dad, you know, challenging uh, the principal in the elementary school, but also broader issues like, you know, public safety and, you know, street lights in, in communities. Uh, my parents were involved in those issues as well and making sure, advocating for you know, the school tax levies. Uh, so our schools would be, would be, uh, you know, good and that, you know, tax funding would go to support them. I also, the Ohio lottery, when it first began, the statewide lottery did dedicate most of the proceeds to schools Mm-hmm. And was able, I was able to go to a pre-career school and, or that had a pre-career curriculum that included pre-law and law enforcement, mm-hmm. but it also had broadcast communications. I thought I was going to be the Oprah before Oprah. Uh, <laughs> the only role model at the time was Barbara Walters. And uh, I just thought that that was dynamic to be able to advocate um, and be in front of a camera and uh, being able to communicate. But when I did the round, you know how you can pick two or three careers that you'll go to. And it's interesting. You you pick four. I pick broadcast communication, pre-law. I, at this time, I don't know exactly why I picked pre-law. I also put global studies and and languages and business. And so when I got to the pre-law, our teacher made us get up and and argue cases. And I just did extremely well. And uh, he was like, you really should pursue this. And that's when the path to pre-law and, and advocacy uh, was, was, was born. You mentioned you're a, a proud Buckeye. You, 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 you know, go to undergrad at, at Ohio State, and then you, you do follow that, that law path, and you go next to, to Georgetown and, and, and get a law degree from, from Georgetown Law School. 
um, which brings you to DC, obviously. And then you start your career uh, on the Hill as a law clerk uh, on the Senate Judiciary Committee with one of the subcommittees. Um, Those first experiences can teach us valuable lessons, those first professional experiences that we then carry on with us kind of for the rest of our careers, even if we, you know, go on and advance and do different things or pivot. Uh, we take those lessons uh, from our first professional experiences with us when we do that. What did you learn from those from from those early days that that you've carried with you in the path that you've walked since? Well, first, I'm going to rewind to talk about this educational thread, because I think one thing that we don't talk about is the role of teachers, professors, tutors, mentors. And I think if you talk to anyone, there there has to be a person, many people. They really are. And I, and I think they go hand in hand. And before I talk about the Ohio State University, the last story I want to say about high school is that, you know, resources. Um, my high school took us to, what is it, uh, Close Up, where we came to Washington, D.C. to see the government close up. And I went into the Rayburn office building and there was a woman in a red suit who said she was an environmental lobbyist and she was a trained lawyer. And so that was my next aha moment. I was like, that's what I want to be. And so once again, exposure, if you can see it, you can be it. Um, And these trips and exposure to professionals make all the difference. So at Ohio State, I also was encouraged to be involved in student government. I was elected senior class president. I was afforded the opportunity to work on the Rose Bowl or go to a student government conference. And I was supported financially um, uh, to do that. And all of those people who took a chance on me and invested in me helped me to get to uh, the place at Georgetown uh, Law School. And my first um, job, the reason I got it is I was able to write on to the technology and law journal. Um, At the end of your first year of law school, there are a group of brilliant people who get to be on the law review, which is an honor. Um, And then the rest of you can also have a chance to to write and compete to get an invitation to join other journals. I got an offer from the technology and law journal. I was, I'm going to tell you, uh, it's, hilarious. I'm here at Microsoft. I was so disappointed. I just knew (laughs) I had to be on the ethics and human rights journal. I was like, Mm. how did they not invite me? You know, but then, you know, it is an honor and it's important. So the technology and law journal um, invited me and we pulled topics out of a hat. Mine was motion picture colorization. It was right when Ted Turner 
had just bought Turner Classic Movies and wanted to colorize them. And the United States was not part of the Byrne Copyright uh, Treaty. And there were challenges. And I wanted to know, and right on the intersection of intellectual property and these challenges with copyright and, and motion pictures, and I stopped. Hill staffers, none of them would schedule except this one counsel for Senator Leahy. I typed up 25 questions, walked from Georgetown Law School to Capitol Hill to meet with him in the Senate Heart Building. After seven questions, he said, you ask good questions. Would you like a position on the committee? We need some help around here. So once again, he saw something in me. I did the hard work on writing on the journal. And to this day, he is still involved in, you know, the intersection of, you know, I run into him, but he gave me an opportunity and, and, and chance. And once I got on Capitol Hill and I saw what this body does, uh, the legislative branch, uh, there was no turning back. So that was one of uh, my first, you know, experiences uh, here in Washington, D.C., and the skill development that you get working on Capitol Hill is really, uh, I don't know where else that you can get it in that way. Mm. After your time as a clerk, uh, you head uh, into another facet of the federal government. You, you work as, as an attorney advisor with the Office of Personnel Management. And I, I don't know that a lot of folks understand kind of the true scope and, and breadth of what the Office of Personnel Management does. It's just it's a huge, huge office and lots <laughs> manages a lot of federal employees. Um what was appealing about that opportunity and, and, and what did that job look like for you as kind of your first, you know, post the, the law, your time as a law clerk on the Hill, first kind of quote unquote, real, real job here in D.C.? Um, this question makes me so happy because people don't know what OPM is and usually they only know when something is bad, mm-hmm. um, something bad happens. But you are talking about one of the largest human resource office of workforce in the world and the issues that you deal with from, I was a privacy act and freedom of information act, uh, expert and, uh, or that was the division I was in. I Mm -hmm. became an expert, but I also did what they call adverse action, which is firing somebody. And, you know, there's jokes about federal employees never losing their job. That's not true, but also try a reduction in force, uh, all of Mm -hmm. these legal, legal actions. But I also think that President Carter doesn't get enough credit for the Civil Service Reform Act during his administration, where he took These 50 offices, there was one office in every state and really made fundamental changes on how the federal uh, workforce, uh, civilian workforce, uh, takes place. Um, These senior attorneys, how they train me to write, to be an advocate, to represent the federal government, all the different countries that came to visit OPM to try to check 
set up their civil service similar to the United States. And it was government service. I remember uh, African-American Republican Connie Newman uh, headed office and she testified on the Hill and talked about how civil service was an honorable profession and how honored she was to, to lead the, the agency. One unique program that I worked on was the Voting Rights Act. And at the time, the Department of Justice uh, needed help you know, in um, after the voting rights of uh, 1965 um, passed, um, they needed help, like just documenting violations. And what they did is deputize federal employees because federal employees um, had already passed some civil service uh, tests on writing competency. And uh, they could move them around because most of them or a lot of them traveled anyway. And so I managed a law clerk program that went to the South, that went to uh, Native American um, reservations and also in major cities and dealt with uh, voting um, uh, challenges that uh, they, they had and helped the Department of Justice uh, document uh, cases. So from federal personnel law, um, from, uh, you know, freedom of information, how much information can be given out on the development of personnel policies, and from our employees who did background checks uh, on uh, other employees so they could be employed by another, another agency, but also given agencies autonomy to hire who they need and what skills they need. When you think about, um, you know, from the national labs to, you know, NASA, the critically important issues about the, the, the workforce that always touches you. And every job that I have had, I have used some part of a skill set or subject matter expertise in the sense of HR and personnel law from that experience. But it's also when I decided that I wanted to get another graduate degree to help me get to Capitol Hill, to be an attorney on the Hill. And that's when I was walking one day the office is close to the GW campus, and I saw a poster for the Graduate School of Political Management. And that brings you that brings you to us. Um, and this is, I believe, you know, closer to the to the beginning of the GSPM, or at least its time uh, at GW. Um, what was your GSPM experience like? Uh, what was what did you enjoy the most? Obviously, you're working during the day at, at OPM. Um, what 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 was the, your GSPM experience like uh, back then? Did you have a favorite class, favorite professor? What was what was what did you really find engaging and, and enriching about it? I think what I found so engaging was the tool set. Um, obviously, law school is a very specific academic endeavor. The Socratic method: you have to read case after case what precedence means, and then the different specialties or, or areas. 
a very, um, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been innovation because there has in clinical uh, and, uh, you know, other, other areas of, and practicums in, in law school. What I'm saying is when you talk about a tool set, when I think about the with Stan Collender and um, learning about the budget process. Uh, I, I I just don't know where you get that kind of education unless you know you work at least two cycles um, on on the House side on the on the budget committee or for a member who's on the the, the budget committee. But in a semester, you get a tool set. To this day, the fundraising class and the practical advice, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting um, my professor's name. She was amazing uh, when she talked to us about political fundraising, but she gave us a tool set that every charity board that I'm on um, every campaign that, you know, I want to help in my role in raising money from my Microsoft colleagues for the PAC, I can still use a nugget from what she, she taught me. And I guess, um, maybe my number one class and what's so interesting to me, I know my fundraising professor and the speech writer professor that I'm going to talk about. He was speechwright for uh, President Bush, father President Bush. Um, and uh, the fire he lit under me on how creative I was and really pushed me um I still think about that first speech. Once again, I don't know what this is. You have to put a topic out of the hat. And I picked um, Veterans Day. And I had no idea, subject matter-wise, that it was for World War I. Um, and then I decided to write about... Um, African American veterans and learning about the 11th day, the 11th month, and learning to use alliteration, like all of these tools. Like, I think the Graduate School of Political Management is the perfect degree if you want to be a professional and understand that you need a toolkit and understand that. You need to have an intentional approach on how to be a good government affairs professional, advocate, but even refining some of those analytical and traditional um, academic skills that you got in law school. In addition to those kind of toolkits that you mentioned and the tools that GSPM can 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 provide to students. We also talk a lot about kind of the importance of the network of the GSPM family. There are kind of countless stories out there about job offers, promotions, successful career transitions coming from kind of this really active and, and well-connected network that you that you have around the school. Can you share kind of your thoughts on the importance of the, of that network and and how you've leveraged and how others can can best 
leverage those connections, not only during graduate school, but but beyond as they go on and, and, and continue in their careers? I, I can tell you um, just three weeks ago in Paris, France, a deputy chief of staff for a Republican member and me, we were both graduate school political management graduates were talking about the skills and how it helped both of us get our jobs, transition, because I transitioned from OPM to Judiciary Committee and to meet and interact with other graduate school political management on Capitol Hill, but also use that toolkit um, and, and network uh, on, on the Hill with them. But we were also, there was uh, a woman um, when we were at this uh, global women's conference in Paris, that's Hill staffers and women um, uh, global professionals um, getting together, someone said, I've been really thinking about going back to graduate school, but I don't know exactly what to do. I don't want a traditional degree. And here we are, Republican, Democrat, talking about um, our experiences and the woman said, I want to talk to you all some more because I'm really interested. That's the experience that I'm looking for. So I would also say not only is it networking and refinement of your personal toolkit, and, uh, but it's also paying it forward. And you know that's the reason why I said yes when one of my consultants for Microsoft who also is a GSPM graduate and said, would you be interested to be on the board? It's like, absolutely. I'm at the point that giving back more specifically, because I strongly believe in um, that great Ohio State coach, Woody Hayes, who said, you know, you need to, you need to pay it forward. Uh, in 1995, you head back to the Hill uh, from OPM as counsel to the Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, what pulled you back to the legislative branch? I know you mentioned when you first got there as a, as a clerk that, you know, you just you kind of fell in love with what that body, what that body could do. Uh, is, is that what pulled you back? And, and when you look back at that time, what do you feel most proud of being a part of uh, during your time working in the House on the uh, on the Judiciary Committee? Well, and I will say that I was always looking to get back, but I wanted to do something very specific. I wanted to be a counsel on a committee. I thought that would really be a top job, and, and I do think it was the best job that, that I ever had. I, I love what I do now. Um, and things were great at uh, the law firm, but that job is so unique. And what pulled me back was wanting to do a specific job to be counsel and also sitting in orient orientation at GSPM. 
and seeing that there were already people who worked on the Hill that I could network and talk to and that how I could leverage and be impactful. Um, And so I will say GSPM helped me after, you know, I left OPM, how do you kind of network? It's kind of hard to network with Hill staffers if you don't really have any connection to them. So uh, GSPM sort of also got me in the in the mix. Um, I would say with with students who were already working uh, on on the Hill, and when I got back to the Judiciary Committee and had to write speeches and amendment floor um, uh, 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 talking points for you know fifteen sixteen uh, members. Um, the, the, the speech writing uh, really helped. I would say what I am most proud of is probably what you said in the introduction, the, the 96 immigration reform uh, bill. Um, immigration is always uh, a challenging issue, but it also has, because of the history of our country, it has interesting political bedfellows um, and that there are areas back then where there was bipartisan support. I also had the honor to work on intellectual property issues that were bipartisan and made a difference to, you know, musicians and creative people, but also the business of that people don't want to talk about that much, the business of being creative um, and all the joy that the creative world brings to us. But there's a business aspect to it and making sure that there was equity for creators. Uh, In 2000, you leave the Hill and you go to Patton Boggs, which is a huge global law firm that also does quite a bit of of lobbying, government relations work. Um, What went into your decision to to step away from the Hill to leave uh, to leave Congress? Was that was that a difficult decision? And, and, And why did you ultimately decide that firm life was was the right next step for you? Well, I I think not only me, but many other historians will say there was a a shift on the Hill after 1994, after a long, you know, time rule of the Democratic Party. They were the minority party and the impeachment of uh, President Clinton. it was very intense to work on that and it was exhausting. And so a former judiciary committee chief counsel uh, had already gone down to Patton Boggs after a stint at the Clinton white house. And he was looking uh, to bring some folks down to join him. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. And I was ready. Um, A lot of business entities and clients were looking for folks with, uh, uh, you know, immigration experience, but also in the intellectual property area, that's when we had Napster, the first online that the industry just wasn't ready for. So I was able to be at this 
technology crossroads and satellite television, all of the telecom issues that we know today, all of those things were emerging. And it was very interesting to me to, to, to join that in the private sector. And so uh, that's the reason I left the Hill. I don't know if you're ever really ready to leave the Hill, but I also thought that this was, you know, the, the right timing uh, to do so. And when you when you leave the hill, you're now you know you're still working. It sounds like on a lot of the same or similar issues that you were working on, you know, when you were working with the committee. But but now you're on the other side of the table from your former yes. colleagues, and uh, you're on the outside. You're not on the inside. Um, what was that experience like? Kind of working on those same issues, but from a different perspective. It it's hard, and I will say that the grace that the members, uh, you know, Congressman uh, John Conyers, who I worked for as the ranking member and chair of the Judiciary Committee, and um, the other members on the committee, uh, the tremendous grace that they showed me um, was, was, it, it meant everything because sometimes it is hard because clients ask for impossible things and you have to balance your integrity as well as your relationships. You only have one reputation. So I always, 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 and this is where the law training comes in. You have to be honest and tell them the other side. So I think that is the adjustment that you have to make and be able to advocate and argue in a holistic manner and not just for your own interests, because if you do that continuously, eventually your reputation will, will be impacted. But I, I do, I, I just would be remiss in not saying that uh, Tom Boggs uh, was one of the founders of this modern business government, you know, with the the Chrysler, you know what I mean, bailout, the unique way that government and the private sector and protection of employees and how they can work together. And it was an honor to be at the table and learn and learn from him. And just to, to hear the stories and how he selected um Commerce Secretary Ron Brown to come down and everyone said, why would you bring someone to a firm who works for a liberal senator like Senator Kennedy? Like, what does he know about business and serving clients? And he was one of the, you know, most outstanding uh, partners that Patton Boggs ever had. In 2009, you leave Patton Boggs and you head to Microsoft, where you run their government affairs work with House Democrats, and you've been there ever since. Um, what was appealing at that point about about going in house with a with a massive company like Microsoft, which that's a thing that you'd never really done before? Obviously, you're still working in and around the the, the Capitol Hill environment, so there's a lot that's that's familiar there. But uh, kind of you know stepping out of the law firm role with multiple clients and and now just focusing on on one uh, one client. Well, it's one client and it's not. Uh, we have so many different divisions, whether it's, 
you know, Bing or our Windows operating system. Now we're also LinkedIn and Open Developer uh, GitHub. And uh, throughout the time, the different acquisitions and mergers that, that we have done. And Steve, you know, everyone looks at Microsoft now, but my experience with crisis management, and I was in the crisis management division as well at Patent Boggs, where, you know, folks were, you know, in crisis. I represented the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I've done work for Kuwait, Angola when I was at, at Patent Boggs. And so really, really tough issues. And, you know, it's great now and they were emerging, but uh, my neighbor at the time said, are you really going to work for the Evo Empire? And so it's interesting that um, I believed in uh, Microsoft's public uh, redemption and uh, never shied away from, you know, sort of a, a, a challenge. Um, and I do think pulling on the thread on educating yourself, which I, I did about Microsoft and what my parents instilled in me, but also um, the resiliency I had built up on taking on tough issues and just getting out of the house, a middle kid and, you know, going for it. Um Lastly, as we have talked about the network, um, Obama had just come in office that fall and or in January into 2009. And the new head of the D.C. office and government affairs team is somebody that I had worked on Capitol Hill. He was in leadership. I was on Judiciary Committee. And he was really looking for someone to, to take this on, you know, on his team and said, would you have any interest in, in applying? And needless to say, it was a pretty competitive process. But here we are, um, you know, 13 years later and every day, you know, the excitement of uh, AI and how it will literally change our lives, um, similar to the internet. Um, I, I just find it delightful that, uh, I still get to work on these issues the same way when I pulled the subject out of the hat on motion picture colorization. Um, it still just, just thrills me on pulling together all the moving, moving parts and, we have a pretty big workforce. We have global teams and every government affairs team in every country that we, we work with or that we have a presence. And it continues to be uh, delightful, challenging, frustrating some days. Uh, but being at this crossroads, being here in the 21st century and being able to have impact and being able to not only have impact and understand what's going on in the House of Representatives, but also in the House of Commons and, you know, other legislators around the world and collectively coming up with a global government affairs perspective and us doing our part here in the U.S. Uh, continues to be uh, interesting and fulfilling.
Last question. There are a lot of opinions about what makes for a successful career. In your experience, what have you found to be most important? Is it what you know? Or is it who you know? Or is it some combination of both? It is definitely a combination of both. But I do think the who you know is important not trying to get to know Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, but who you know and how you treat the people that you know. The reason why I got to Patton Boggs is, yes, a former general counsel of the House Judiciary Committee and White House counsel, but it was his assistant an office manager that he left at the committee because she couldn't leave because she didn't have the retirement years. Um, That's the person he called first and said, out of all the judiciary councils, who do you think I should approach? And she said, me. She said, to be honest with you, she's the only one. Stephanie will do anything. If we have to do binders at midnight and punch, she will do So it's also how you treat people because you never know who's going to be your reference. And if you don't learn or don't know that everybody deserves respect and dignity, then it will catch, it will catch up to you. So I would refine the who, you know, to also say how you treat people. And if you help someone then they can they can help you as well and remember that as you move through your career. Wise words from a wise person, Stephanie Peters. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your journey and and, and your path here in here in Washington and, and, and before and and excited about where you'll go next. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, I'm sure our audience appreciate it. I know I did. Thanks so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. 